In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When would you say is the last time that you stopped and considered what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? When was the last time that you personalized the sufferings of Jesus into yourself? His death and his resurrection for each and every one of you individually, not just all y'all, but each and every one of you. Most of us have heard that if we take John 3.16, we can personalize that and we can insert our name. For God so loved Craig or Walt or Carol, or insert your name, that he gave his only begotten son. From the cross, Jesus took upon himself the sin of the whole world, all of the sins of the world from the beginning of time to the last person standing, Jesus Christ has answered for each and every sin that you and I could ever commit, have ever committed, will ever commit, that our grandchildren will ever commit, that our grandparents ever committed, and so forth and so on. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. There's no one, absolutely no one, that Christ has not atoned for their sins. But there is one unforgivable sin. Simply rejecting that gift. Refusing to have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Insisting, I'm just fine on my own. I don't need all that Jesus mumbo-jumbo. That's okay. Today in our gospel lesson, we see this universal nature of God's grace. We see ourselves in the ten lepers. We see ourselves in the one who returns. And we see ourselves in the nine who do not. We, the baptized, are indeed still sinners, and yet we are saints at the same time. So few Christians understand that even in the midst of our sinning, we have a Savior. Even in the midst of a sin, God sees you for nothing but the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. He doesn't see you for who you are and what you're doing in your sinfulness. Rather, he sees you for his son who has covered you with his grace, with his garments of righteousness. Those who wish to stop sinning find comfort knowing that the God who created all things with a simple word has spoken them to be righteous. His holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death paid for it all. He paid the price for us, for our sin, because we have no currency before God. We have nothing of any worth to offer him for which he would be impressed all of our good works, all of our success, all of whatever you might have is not good enough for God. Yet we believe these things to be true and we are still so weak. We turn our focus away from Jesus and we put that focus back on ourselves time and time again. 
The natural sinful inclination of mankind is to not look to Jesus, but to look at ourselves. How am I measuring up today? If you think you're doing a good job, you're not. You're sinful. So we see Jesus in our text. On his way to Jerusalem. Pay attention when you see those words. Because we know what happened in Jerusalem. The place where he was beaten. The place where he was crucified. The place where he died for our sins. The place where he rose from the dead. And as he journeys toward his atoning sacrifice on the cross. As he journeys toward his own death. Along the side of the road at a respectful distance. Because lepers had to keep a respectful distance. Are ten lepers. They couldn't come close to you because the fear was you would become a leper too. So there they are, off in the distance, and they call out to Jesus for mercy. Isn't it interesting how when life is going so good for us, we usually don't think twice about God, but when everything goes to pot, when we find that we are the unclean ones, like the lepers who had to call out, unclean, unclean, all of a sudden, reality hits us. Oh yeah, I have a savior, and I need a savior. How many non-church-going people will call on the name of Jesus when times get desperate? And then when things get better, what happens? Boy, I really pulled myself out of that pickle, didn't I? Who is this Jesus? Who is your Jesus? Is he some cosmic bellhop who's here to bail you out when times are hard? Who's here to give you the desires of your heart? Is he here to give you stuff like we hear on TV with prosperity doctrines? Oh, if you just send me a hundred dollars, God will increase it tenfold with you. And you send me your hundred dollars, and God doesn't increase it tenfold with you. But I got your money. Jesus, the Son of God, didn't have a pillow for his own head. What makes you think he's going to give you a limousine? Is this Jesus here for your personal empowerment? Oh, if I believe enough, I'll be able to do this miracle or that miracle and raise the dead and so But who's doing it, me or Jesus? I am, of course. So much of what's passed off as Christianity today is what we call in the Lutheran Church a theology of glory, a personal glorification, not a glorifying of Christ, but instead a glorifying of me, so that you might think highly of me. I grew up hearing that for every soul that you lead to Christ, for every good deed that you do, you get another jewel in your crown, another room in your mansion in heaven. And for what? So that when we can get to heaven, we can strut around with our big old crowns and say, look at this. You should see my mansion. My bathrooms have bathrooms. Is heaven a place of such sinfulness? Is heaven a place where we strut around in our own glory? 
anything that we might receive from the hand of the master is a gift and we are not worthy of such gifts we will cast our crowns at the feet of the lord and declare ourselves unworthy servants and yet he will say what well done thou good and faithful servant when i was hungry you fed me when i was naked you clothed me when i was in prison you visited me and the sheep say i did what and the goats say, what about all the time that we did all this stuff for you, Lord? Wrong Jesus, if you think you can please him with your own goodness. So here are the ten. The ten with their noses falling off. The ten who are numb from the disease. And Jesus is moved with deep deep compassion his divine compassion has moved him to not just heal the ten but to deliver you and me from the eternal consequences of our disease all too often we think God will be pleased with us for what we do or don't do but God is pleased with us for the sake of his son how bad do things have to get with your children before you would disown them how many mothers I have sat with who cry because of their drug-addicted children who are off selling their bodies or other things? How many mar marriages fall apart because of such things? And yet, we still own our children. We won't turn them out. Very rare is the time where it gets so bad that we say, go away. If we think that we are so patient and long-suffering and kind to our own, but we think that God is looking for a reason to punish us, to kick us out of his kingdom or some such thing, we have no idea what we're talking about. For God is beyond kind and long-suffering and patient. He sees you in the midst of all of your sins. And he says, you are the apple of my eye. I'm sorry you're doing that. But I died for that too. Jesus is kind and gracious to all of the ten lepers. Yet he knew full well that only one would return to worship him. All ten had healing, but only one received it in faith and joy. So do we suppose that the other nine, as soon as they walked away, developed leprosy again? No. Not at all. But only one comes back and has a true healing. A healing of the soul. For he has found the true Jesus. God blesses you in the midst of your unbelief and in the midst of your belief. Matthew 5.45 says, He makes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He blesses all with goodness. How much more will he bless you who call on his name, knowing his mercy? Salvation is a done deal for you. 
You are declared righteous by the one who spoke all things into being. He spoke the earth and the stars into being, and he has declared you to be his righteous children. And if he speaks it to be so, you are righteous and you are his children. Even though you will continue to sin, he only sees you for the righteousness that he has declared you to be. He has declared you to be in Christ Jesus, and so he sees you for the righteousness that is Christ. This is a mystery. We have a mysterious God. He says about the bread and wine at his table, this is my body and this is my blood. How can this be? Who cares? He says that it's so, and we simply say, your God, okay, amen. He says, take and eat for the forgiveness of sins. How does it forgive my sins? I don't know, but he says that it does, and so it does. In a like way, our mysterious God says you are righteous. For Christ exchanged his righteousness for your sin on the cross. St. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 5, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that you might become the very righteousness of God. What a blessed gift that is, this glad and happy exchange that Jesus makes all of your bad for all of his good. So who are we in this story? All too often we're the nine ingrates. They go their happy way without giving this Jesus a second thought. You see, these were the nine Jews. And yet the outsider comes and bows at the feet of Jesus. The Jews of old were insiders with God. They knew it. We're sons of Abraham. We're safe. But this Samaritan, this outsider, the one who is outside looking in, all of a sudden is the one who has God's grace. He's doubly unclean, for he was a leper and a Samaritan, a filthy person. He knew that he was doubly unclean, and so Jesus blesses him with a double blessing. Dear brothers and sisters, does your sin weigh on you? Do you feel convicted for the things that you've thought and done over the years? Do you wish that you could make a time machine? Boy, is this my dream. Having a time machine where I can go back and slap myself. And not just two or three times, but thousands of times. Go back and slap myself and say, stop it. Do you wish that you could go back in times because you've hurt others? Or because you've hurt yourself? Or because you've sinned against the Lord? If you feel this way, even as I do, we know that we are completely outsiders with God if we're left on our own. But the good news is this, you are not alone. For you have been adopted into the family of God. You are in a house full of sinners right now. And only sinners are welcome in this house. This is a church for people who know that they need a savior not for the good people who are fine on their own. 
You have been named with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been given a new name. And with this new name, you are given a new identity. You are no longer to wear the identity of your sin before our Father, but you wear the identity of Jesus Christ, who alone is without sin or blemish. We are identified in him. And he alone cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Even in the midst of your sin, he's there with grace. He's there with forgiveness and more than you will ever know or understand. As you sin, the judge stands and he says, not guilty. I paid the price for that sin too. We are outsiders like the Samaritan. But as we realize how gracious and merciful our Savior is, as we come to grips with the fact that we cannot out his forgiveness, he turns our hearts. He turns them away from being inward looking to looking out to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He turns our hearts from wanting to go our way to wanting to go his way. Have comfort, dear Christian friends. For we who know that we are sinners to the core also find that we have a Savior who has extended such mercy and healing to us. Let us worship and bow down before the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in gratitude for his love for you. Rejoice, knowing that he has cast out all of your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. Let us leave this place today knowing that all satisfaction for all sin has been made in Christ Jesus for you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.